For those of you who are newer among us, we have been going through, uh, maybe for some of you too painstakingly, but carefully and prayerfully the book of Ephesians, centered around this theme of discovering or finding our true identity in Christ. There's a lot of voices out there in the world today telling us uh, who we have to be and what we have to look like and how we have to dress, and even as believers, how we should live. But the Bible is the true source of wisdom and God's word for us, and so it's been our path during these last number of weeks to return to God's word to discover who we are in Jesus. And it's been a delight to share together, to read together, as we're going to do in just a minute, what it means to be a child of God, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, and the blessings that God has pointed our way, because we are, as Paul repeated often, in Christ. So let's open our hearts up again this morning to the word from Ephesians chapter 5, as Brother Ted reads our scripture. There's an awful lot in this today, and so if you could all just say a prayer to yourself that we all hear God's word and what he wants us to do, because there's an awful lot of examples, and uh, it's very a rich, rich uh, uh, sermon here in Ephesians 5. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of any greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such thing, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them, for you once were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed for the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to the debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord 
Jesus Christ. Thank you, brother. Well, he's right. That's a long passage, and it's a rich passage, and it's quite an undertaking to try to preach one sermon about it when we've already used up about 15 minutes of our sermon time, but we are going to give it our our best shot. Now, if you've been with us, you've uh, heard our message on spiritual gifts, and I often wonder among Paul's giftedness if he wasn't an organizer, because over and over and over again in in his writings, you see these lists of comparisons. It's like compare and contrast um, those who are outside the church and outside the faith with those who are inside the church and inside the faith. And it's been, honestly, a little bit of a battle for me because I feel like Ephesians is one of the most positive in the whole Bible. There is so much depth and there's so much theology and there's so much Christ alive in us that this list and it's like, oh man, another list. But Paul does it on purpose, I believe, to show us, to help us, to remind us of what it means to be in Christ, reminding us again this morning of what our true identity in Jesus is like. And so because Paul writes lists, I'm going to preach about that list this morning, and it's going to be really simple. You'll see on the, on the screen, the next slide up there is, we're going to look at a few don'ts that Paul shares, and those, for the most part, come first. And then he talks about some do's. Uh, you see a reminder again that the Bible is really simple to understand. There's really nothing here that's so tricky that we can't comprehend it. It's just a matter of if we listen carefully, we absorb the word as it's given to us and then apply it in each of our lives. And so we're going to look together this morning about, first of all, some don'ts that Paul says. If you're a disciple, if you're a believer, if, you, if your identity, you claim your identity is in Jesus, then here are some things that you don't do as a follower of Christ. Now, if Paul said these to Christians of his day because it was necessary for them to hear them, I believe this morning, as believers following Jesus, it's necessary for us to hear them. So don't blow over because it's for somebody else or it's for a bygone era. This is for us this morning as we look at Paul's list together. And the first thing he says in this list of don'ts is to not engage in sexual immorality or impurity. This isn't something that we hear preached on in the church in America anymore because we turn on the television and it's everywhere. It saturates our culture, even in the church. And we have allowed so much to come into our minds, into our hearts, and into our homes that it just doesn't feel right anymore. It doesn't feel like it's anything that God would be opposed to because it feels good, because it seems good. But if you study your Bible enough to know that this area in our life leads to some of the greatest damage done in the history of mankind, in the history of God, in the history of human beings, over and over and over again, something that we thought we could contain and hide and keep a secret, came out of our closet and smacked us between the eyes. And we say it's nobody's business what happens in our private life. But I think this morning we could all say that at some point in our experience, the devil's made it his business to make sure it's somebody else's business to try to ruin the business that God is trying to do in each of us. And Paul just simply says, as a follower of Jesus, there's no place for this 
in the Christian life. Part of your identity in Jesus is to be free from lust in the mind and in your heart and in your life. And that's why when I look at this list, I, I see a negative, but I also see a positive. That God has provided through Jesus the opportunity for us to be free, the opportunity for us to be pure, and we're going to get, I'm already getting ahead of myself. But he says, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, this isn't a part of the equation. This isn't meant to be a part of the picture as we walk with him. And we need to be honest with God if we have struggles there and ask him for his grace and for his healing. Number two is, and the scripture says, do not engage in covetousness. Don't, don't covet someone else's property. Have you ever watched a commercial? Anyone ever seen a commercial on TV? It is, we're, we're, anyone listen to the radio? It's everywhere. And we are, we are fed this, this, this almost, it feels like an eternal lie, this, this continual lie by the world that, that we need a new car in order to be happy. We need a new four-wheeler in order to have fun. We need, to, we need to order this in order to feel good about ourselves. And our world is in, enraptured by this idea of acquiring more will make us feel content. But did the commercials ever turn off? Do they ever stop? <laughs> they keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming. Like sometimes, like we just never are going to be, have arrived unless we have this. And then we have that and something else comes along. And Paul just simply says, be free of that. What did Paul say? I've learned in what? Every situation to be what? To be content. In every way before God. Number three, he says, do not participate in filthiness or foolish talk or crude humor. Some languages say, do not curse. And it's one of those passages in the Bible that some believers just would rather not hear. (laughs) Because we have freedom. It's one of the tenets of our American experience. Part of our democracy is that we have the right to say whatever we want to say to whoever we want to say it, however we want to say it. And Paul says, well, that's not Christianity. (laughs) That's not Jesus. That doesn't belong. That's not a part of our identity in Jesus. And Paul simply reminds the church in these expressions of reminders of what is true faith, what is discipleship, what is following Jesus, and what isn't. And I think Paul wrote these things for a reason because there were some people that would be reading this letter who would say that and goes, oh, well, I probably shouldn't be doing that. What comes off our and how does it reflect the kingdom of God in our life? Kind of wrapped all these together, he also says, don't associate with those who sin. Don't associate with sinful behavior. Now, does that mean you don't have Christians or friends who are non-believers? How are you going to win them to Jesus if you don't become their friend? How are you going to get them to know about God unless you befriend them? But well, but don't associate with sinful behavior. Let me tell you a story. I'll illustrate it this way. When I was in Ohio, I was bivocational. I did drywall full-time, and I was pastoring part-time. Um, and at the end of the year, right before Christmas, we had a... Um, a golf outing, and, and it was a scramble. You got four guys to a cart, 
and you just went to a hole, and whoever shot was the furthest and the best, you take that. Then everyone would shoot again, and you take the next shot, and, and all the way up, and all the way through. And it was uh, an adventure, let's just say it that way, to be there. Some of these guys um, had had more beers before they got to the golf course than, than I would have guessed. Some of them said some things during that outing that I would never say, but I needed to be there to be a testimony and a witness to them. And I felt like I was okay in that. I wasn't participating in language. I wasn't participating in the drinking, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, But I was there as a part of their life to try to minister to them. But when the event got over, and this is kind of going back to a previous one, they're like, let's all go to a strip club together. And that's where my participation ceased in that moment. I didn't mind being there to be a witness, to communicate with them and live life with them. But when they invited me to participate in a sinful activity, that's where you have to put on the brakes. That's the boundary that we have to draw. And sometimes it feels difficult to know what the boundaries are. But if you're ever enticed to sin in ministry, you might want to rethink that. (laughs) Alarm bells should go off. If you're thinking, I need to do this for Jesus, and the Bible says that it's not something you should do, that's not ministry, that's sin. And Paul says, be really careful, be conscientious about how you minister and what you're doing in that way. So he talks about not partaking in sinfulness. He also says, don't take part in the works of darkness, but expose them. And here we have a don't and a do all wrapped up together. It wasn't just that I was there along for the ride for those guys on the golf courts to just have fun with them. But it was also to have opportunities to share the light of Jesus with them. And so when they invited me after the tournament was over to go to this place of establishment that that we shouldn't go, I said, I've made vows to my wife. I've made a covenant with my eyes. This isn't something that I'm uh, interested in doing. And can I tell you guys that you can go once, you can go 10 times, you go 100 times, it's never going to be enough. Only Jesus can satisfy. And I wonder in your family and friendships and relationships, if, if it's comfortable for you to kind of be there when, when, you know, just living life together. But when that moment of truth comes where they invite you into that place you shouldn't go, if you just walk away, or if the Holy Spirit allows you to speak light and truth into that moment. Because most of us have some kind of self-consciousness We have a sense of belonging and wanting to be accepted into a crowd, into a group, into a family. When the moment of truth comes, Paul says it's not just about not doing something. It's also about showing a contrast of what truth is in the world that we live in. Dwight Moody said years ago, character is what you are, or I would reword it, who you are in the dark. And what Paul is saying in this passage is that we as believers are called to be people of character, people of integrity, people where truth and following truth and living the truth matters in each of our lives. I told you last Sunday and the Sunday before that Paul's kind of meddling in this passage. He's just, you know, he was very theological in the opening chapters, and now he's just kind of It's kind of a heart-to-heart now with his people where he's kind of going through 
What are your struggles? There's immorality and there's cursing and there's gossip and there's disassociation and we're associated in some. And then he gets to this idea of, of drunkenness. When's the last time you heard a sermon on drunkenness in the church? I don't think I ever have in my entire life. It was really interesting to me. I don't know if my kids heard this, but on Father's Day, we went down to my dad's house in Salem uh, to celebrate Father's Day. And um, my little nephew is, I think, three years old, and he greeted everyone with a dinosaur roar. And there was a few minutes of chaos as everyone entered the house, and it was amazing. But as soon as the chaos died down, my dad came to me with a, a, a friend of the family and barely even said hi. They was like, so in the Bible, was it really wine or was it grape juice that they were drinking? Like, you know, happy Father's Day. <laughs> Wasn't quite what I was expecting for that day. I've written, I've read papers written about this, and I don't think that's the point of what it was they were or were not drinking. The fact of the matter is that Paul says to keep yourself under control. Keep yourself under control. And that really is what we should get hung up on, is what controls us. What are we allowing to come in, and what effect does it have upon us? I know pastors, their, their pastorate is to go to a bar and have a drink with the, with, the, um, with the customers there to try to reach out into their life. They're not controlled by what they drink. It doesn't lead to debauchery. It, in their opinion, leads to ministry, and I'll leave that conversation for another day. But how many of you have known a family that's been torn apart by people being out of control, not being able to control this in their life? Paul says in other places, don't be a stumbling block to others around you by what you bring into your body because at some point it will come out in each way. So that's his list of don'ts. And I did pretty good at getting through that. I'd like to really now focus on the things that he says we should do. As I've told you many times, this is, this is God's invitation to us. When Paul writes about our, our ability to discover who we are in Jesus, it is a lifelong journey that you and I each are going through, participating in, discovering for ourselves today, tomorrow, next week, next month, who, next year, who I am, who am I today in Jesus and who I am in Jesus in the days to come. A lot of you, when you get to the do's in the Bible, it said very early on, be ye imitators of Christ. I remember growing up, there was a slogan, um, I want to be like Mike. Michael Jordan, if you're not a sports fan. And it was the dream of every kid in my generation growing up that someday with the right shoes and the right clothes, we could fly through the skies on the basketball court like Michael Jordan. It didn't work for me, let's just say it that way. It just never happened. But it was my dream as a child to imitate this person who had, um, could do things with the basketball that very few people could ever do. And there's been other people in my life that I've emulated and wanted to look up to and be like and try to form some of my life's disciplines and choices after. But what comes down to the end of the day, Paul simply invites us to, invites us to remember that Jesus is the greatest example that's ever lived. The way he lived and the way he ministered, even the way he died, is an eternal reminder to us of how we are to live our lives each and every day. He says in this passage that we also should walk in love. How many of you have ever gone for a love walk? 
Now you look over to your suite and you're like, oh, I remember the day. But I was thinking about it this week, that to, to our lives showing love to others. And I wonder if there's a, a place in our life that Paul is trying to get to because I know I've lived my Christian life sometimes like this. I'm going to the grocery store or the gas station or on a fishing trip or whatever. And, and uh, you know, if someone comes to me with a need, then that'll be great, but I'm gonna do my thing. And if by chance someone comes to me, I'll be available for them. I read into this some intentionality here that wherever I go and whatever I'm doing, I'm looking to be God's instrument of love to those around me. That wherever I walk or wherever I run or wherever I go, my life is to be an instrument of God's love to the people around me. Doesn't that sound like someone who lives in Jesus? Doesn't it sound like wherever Jesus went, what did he say when he saw the crowds? His heart was moved with compassion, moved with love for the crowds because he was walking a life filled with love towards those around him. It says also in this passage, we should walk as children of light, identifying our life by the truth of the gospel, identifying our steps as those walking true to Jesus. There's a passage in this section that says to learn what pleases God. And I've read this passage for years and and just kind of over that spot. Maybe focused on the do's and the don'ts and missed that one. To be a student of what makes Jesus happy. To be a lifelong learner of what it means to please God by the way I live my life and the decisions that I make and the way I interact with others, the way I minister for him. How many of you are really good at knowing what is right for you? How many of you know what pleases you? I think all of us do. We're our number one biggest fan. And there's a contrast Paul paints in our lives between our life away from Jesus and our life in Jesus. Remember before I came to Christ, I was gonna join the army, be a military policeman. I was gonna go far away and live my life and have all kinds of adventures, just doing whatever Peter wanted. And then when the light of Jesus came into my life and changed my direction, it was no longer about my plans and my dreams and my wants and my desires. Now it was searching the scriptures, talking to people of wisdom around me, saying, what would it take for me to please God in the area of my life and my future and decisions that I would make? And we would discern, learn together what it takes to please God in each and every area of our life. Number five, it says to walk as people of wisdom. So we're to walk in love and we're to walk in wisdom. To live our lives seeking and learning the truths of God. I immediately thought of the book of Proverbs in this section. God's wisdom book for you and I, and you can turn there any day. In fact, early in my Christian life, I, my dad taught me this principle. Read a psalm and read a Proverbs. You'll read about worship and you'll read about wisdom, and it's a great way to start your day. To hear the truths and the nuggets of God's word so that we could grow daily in our walk with him. I hope all of us can look back years from now in our Christian journey and say, I'm, I'm wiser now than I once was. I know I can say that as a pastor. I've learned to have wisdom in my, and I'm still learning. I'm not perfect. I'm not there. 
But I look back early in my ministry when there was someone who had a criticism or came to me with a complaint or, or suggestion. Early in my ministry, my wisdom was to get my hackles raised. Because they chose not to come to me with some kind of praise or uh, thankfulness. It, it was just pastor this and pastor that. And, and I, I lacked the wisdom to understand that the people who loved me the most would come and tell me what I needed to hear. And that in that attempt to talk with me, they're trying to tell me that they loved me and they cared about me, but I lacked the wisdom that God is teaching me now even today to discern what's happening around me with the wisdom that comes from God. Something else that says to be making the best use of our time. Have you ever wrote out a daily calendar? I've got a chart on, in my drawer in the office it's, it's uh, every hour of the day for 24 hours a day. And every time I open that drawer, that chart stares at me. I don't know, I haven't figured out exactly what it's trying to say yet, but it talks to me, it's whispering to me. And I wonder if that's what the Holy Spirit would want to do in our lives. As we think about the 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year that he gives us, what is the best use of our time? I read an article this week that said by the time teenagers graduate high school in, in this current generation, they'll have spent more time on screens than in school. I don't think that's just teenagers. I think for a lot of us, the temptation to be on those devices permeates our life. Movies and distractions and sports all fun, good things that meet the needs that we have, but doesn't meet the greatest need that we have to please Jesus. And I was thinking about it today, um, about the lady that was the one who worked with us at the restaurant afternoon. And we got there and we had people that we thought we'd have, and, and I could tell she was kind of getting on edge. Like, this isn't what you said was going to happen, and you're the pastor. I, I, I could feel that coming. And I thought, you know, I'm trying to get everyone situated and make sure everyone's, you know, got a spot. And, and I felt a little bit of tension between her and myself. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to go sit down and she'll be fine. And the Holy Spirit said, no, that's a bad idea. <laughs> and so I, he, he kind of helped me out of my chair a little bit and sent me to her. And, and I just said, you know, I'm sorry that this has been a little bit more than you guys expected. It wasn't our intention to overwhelm you. I'm really excited that we had a lot more people come than we thought we were having, but I'm sorry if it's caused extra stress and extra burden on you and you've had to move people around that. That isn't our intention. We want to be a blessing to you and, and that meant a lot to her. And I'm glad I just didn't sit in my chair and ignore the Holy Spirit in that moment, but I used the best use of my time. And I'm gonna try to wrap this up um, with the last couple of things, and they're going to kind of flow into our conclusion. But a couple more things that he said is one of them to be filled with the Spirit. And that's one of those things that's, that we think of that's on the list. But as you and I look back on our lives, can we do any of the things that Paul says to do, to walk in love, to walk in the light, to share love with others without the Holy Spirit living in our life, without the power and the strength of God reigning and living 
flowing through us into the lives of others. I just wish Paul would have said that at the first verse. Just the way he struck, you know, of course, we didn't have numbers in that day when it was written, so maybe it was different in their culture. But the fact of the matter is Paul kind of gets a little bit towards the end before he shares the secret of how we really discover who we are in Jesus. Because some of us are still bound in the law of the 21st century of trying harder, working harder, hoping for another chance. That's kind of the Holy Spirit to us is trying, hoping, believing someday we'll do better. Instead of surrendering ourselves to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to come in and invade who we are, to change the way that we live, to help us with the don'ts list and to give us the power and the strength for the do's. I love in this passage, he goes on to say another thing that we should do is to sing in passionate worship to God. Hymns and songs and spiritual songs, it is a part of who we are as believers to worship God freely. It's part of who we are in Jesus. Now, you've all heard me say this before if you attend your first regularly, but one of my favorite verses in the Bible is make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I can't hear or make a tone to beat the world. I just can't. But when we come to worship on Sunday morning and we sing the songs like we sang today, just be glad you're not sitting next to me when worship starts. Because there's something about knowing Jesus and having his spirit alive and living in me that I don't have to sing. I want to sing. I want to sing. Because he lives in me. The Trinity is alive in me. And they've always interacted with each other and God alive in me wants to interact with his creation around me even through this idea of worship. I've read article after article down through the years why men don't sing in church. Guys, they pick on us and they pick on us and they pick on us. And I think there's some good points in there. I do think there are, but when it gets down to the end of it, I think that the wisdom of Paul's writing is, as believers, as disciples living in Jesus, there's just something in there that's got to come out. And if there isn't, then you need to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. So there's two things I want to wrap us up with. One is that just facing the music, we'll see it on the screen. As Paul continues to compare and contrast our identities away from Jesus and in Jesus, he's doing it for a reason, that we would have this internal dialogue in our hearts with God as we look over these lists and say, oh, I'm, I'm trying to follow God, allow this to creep into my life, or maybe this is keeping me from following God. Holy Spirit, would you come in and clean that area out in my life? To face the music of our decisions maybe our destructive habits, maybe our addictions, maybe the things that we go through and struggle through in life. Paul paints clearly for us a line in the sand as followers of Jesus, and we want to live in a world of 50 shades of gray. And Paul simply says, as disciples, this is the dividing line.
But I love, I'm going to go back and we're going to close with the opening salvo and maybe in your version, be imitators of Jesus. Now, if you turn back early in Ephesians, it says that we are adopted as his children. One of the high, high theological points in all of this scripture. And I just want to close with a story of, of, a, of my own family story. My dad remarried shortly after uh, my um, mom and him divorced, and I had step, stepbrothers and sisters. The two girls, um, we lived in the same house together, but we never talked. It was just an awkward stage as young teenagers. We just avoided each other at all costs. Um, but my stepmom had an older son, Jeremy, who had been in the Air Force, lived in North Dakota, and had come back, and they were unable to have their own children. And so they... Uh, began the process of adoption, and they found a young boy named Paul in Romania. Now, Paul was three by the time he came to the United States to be a part of our family. Um, But before he left Romania, his parents had been killed. He'd been dropped off, left at the front orphanage door, and whoever dropped him off just left him. And so he had some trauma, he had some pain as he came to our family um, in Salem, Oregon, 20-some years ago now. He didn't speak English. He had a great burden on his heart. And he had a whole lifetime to figure out who he was. We am so grateful he came to such a loving family that Jeremy and his wife, Melissa, were. And they loved that boy through those early days of screaming and terror and heartache. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever watched to see this little boy hurt so much. Pastors often do that. They watch the people they love hurt so much. But I'm reminded of the father's love as I watched Jeremy night after night get out his woodworking tools with Paul, and they'd work on a birdhouse together. They'd work on repairing a bench together, and, and it, was just, it just reminded me of what it must have been like with Jesus and his father those early days of working on the workbench together. And one night, one night, instead of tears and crying and shame, Paul reached out his hand for the hammer. And together, father and son worked on that creation together. And from that moment on, things were never the same. Now, Jeremy spent months of hard work, reaching out to his son, offering his love, offering himself, offering everything that Paul needed to identify as a member of their And it took a while for Paul to develop the kind of trust and a feeling of safety enough to open his heart and even then his hand to his new dad. A couple of weeks later, Paul said his first English word, and his first word was dad. And it's one of the most beautiful pictures I can in life of how God is patiently talking to us, wooing us, drawing us to himself because he wants us to be a part of his family. He wants us to turn over the trust of our life, our hearts, and even our hands to him so that we can follow him with all that we are as we live our lives for Jesus. Most of us in this room are already believers. Most of us in this room have probably already turned over the reign of our life, the hands of our life over to Jesus. 
And Paul's word today is just a reminder. Maybe get on Google and print out a 24-7 timesheet. Maybe remind yourself that God is the one who sees all of our thoughts and knows all of our actions, sees all the places that we go. Paul just brings us back to this relationship with Jesus. And I'll, everywhere that Jeremiah Paul went, everywhere brother went after that moment that night, Paul had to go. And there was nothing that anybody could do to stop him. There's nothing more that he wanted out of life than to be with his dad. To do what dad did and the way dad did it, and the manner dad did it, he was sold out his son. And as positive and negative as this passage is, as much do's and don'ts as there is, what Paul is really saying to us is God wants a relationship with us like that. That wherever he goes, we go. Whatever he says, we do. Wherever he sends, we would go, and we would want to live our lives just the way that he did. Not a list of do's and don'ts, but a relationship of equal love and faithfulness together with him. That's who we are to be in Jesus. Let's stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for that evening where the months of hard work paid off and little Paul opened his heart up to Jeremy. Their life together as a family was never the same from that moment. They found a new kind of love, a new sense of purpose, a new way of belonging, a new way of doing life together. They were never the same. As your Holy Spirit reaches out to us today, that's what you offer us. A new kind of love, a new kind of purpose, a new sense of belonging, a new way of living. But God, it's not an offer of bondage, it's an offer of freedom to follow you wherever you would call us to go. And Lord, if there's something that's that's got us tangled up, something that's got us distracted or our our eyes off course, we just pray you'd help us to, to cast those aside today to place our hand again in yours and follow you wherever you would call us to go. And we're going to spend eternity praising you for your love for us. Father, may you go with us today and bless us, enrich our lives, love on us today as we serve you and all God's people said, amen. May the Lord be with you, invite you for coffee and cookies. And for those of you headed to